This morning's scripture reading is taken from John chapter 3. We'll be reading from verses 14 through 17 and then focusing our attention especially on verse 16. In your pew Bible, you can find this on page 1,223. Uh, No doubt John 3 verse 16 is known well to many, if not all of us. Uh, It's frequently quoted and referenced even in secular settings. And while it is a most well-known passage, it is also, I believe, a most misunderstood passage. Uh, And misunderstood in the sense that its real revelation is missed uh, in its misinterpretation and in its misapplication. And so in the brief time allotted to us this morning, we want to consider with God's help John 3, verse 16, uh, but we read beginning at verse 14. Hear now together the Word of God. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the early morning hours of this Sabbath day, as you reflect upon the week gone past and also as you anticipate the week that lies ahead, as you gather here in the midst of the congregation of God's people uh, to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, with our Bibles open and also with the elements of the Lord's Supper prepared, we gather ourselves together to be reminded of this glorious truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We want to consider that truth underneath the theme of God's love for the world, noticing, first of all, the object of the love, then secondly, the action of the love, and then thirdly, the result of the love. So our subject matter this morning, God's love for the world, the object, the action, and the result And I would encourage you, although no doubt you have heard this text quoted many a time, you have read it many a time, uh, try to hear it for the first time. God so loved the world. You notice that the text very clearly identifies the object as the world. Now, this does not mean every single member of the human race. Uh, It is often interpreted that way, but that is an unbiblical interpretation. We know from other Scripture passages that God set His eternal love upon Jacob, but Esau was hated. We know also from the testimony of Scripture in the Psalms that God is angry with the wicked every day. We know also that God's love is powerful and effectual, that those whom God loves, God saves because of his omnipotence. And so we are forced to look more carefully at this object. God so loved the world. That word world can refer to all of creation, including the inanimate elements of creation. It can refer to the trees and to the earth. And certainly God admires the works of his own hands in creation. Uh, But the world can also refer to fallen humanity, not necessarily to every single member 
of fallen humanity, but more generally speaking, humanity as a race. And so just ponder anew this truth that God so loved the present humanity as his sovereignly created image bearers in this present fallen world. Now, you don't have to listen very long to cultural pundits and secular analysts. You don't have to listen very long either, I suppose, at the farmer's co-op elevator or at the local restaurant or perhaps at uh, the, the beauty salon to hear many people bemoan the current state of affairs of the human race. And whether it's on the right side of the aisle or whether it's on the left side of the aisle, politically speaking, uh, there seems to be uh, a never-ending barrage of criticisms of where our society and where humanity is. And much of this, you could say, is justified. But God so loved the world, the present human race, that He gave His only begotten Son. Sometimes I fear that the church can fall victim to hating the world. Certainly, we need to criticize culture where it needs to be criticized based upon biblical truth and biblical morality. But in our criticism of culture, let us never forget, God so loved the world. In its fallen condition and in its fallen state, certainly we might understand why God so loved Adam and Eve before the fall, before their rebellion, before their sin, when they stood still in that morally upright position, when they knew God rightly and knowing God rightly, when they served God faithfully. Uh, but the text does not refer to God's love for the world prior to the fall. The text refers to God's love for the world after the fall, after that rebellious transgression of Adam and Eve, with all of its implications for the human race. Hypothetically speaking, God could have walked away from the wreck of sinful humanity. We're very, very thankful for the safety that God has given us as a congregation over the past weeks, but sometimes there are those calls that come that someone has been involved in a tragic car accident. Uh, and we certainly hope and pray that no life is lost. But maybe you've had a tragic car accident in the past, and you've looked upon your vehicle, and the insurance adjuster agreed that the vehicle is totaled, that it's wrecked. And maybe you have some sentimental attachment to that vehicle, and yet you have to look at it and say, this vehicle is beyond repair. And so you walk away from the vehicle, and you turn it over to the salvage yard. Uh, you bring it to uh, the recycling facilities. And it's stripped down and it's crushed and it's melted and it's done whatever they do with this. God could have hypothetically speaking. Now, not of course because His eternal decree was to save members of the human race. But God could have walked away from fallen humanity. 
and said, it's wrecked, it's ruined, it's worthless to me. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. God could have walked away from you and me and said, that person is wrecked, ruined because of their transgressions, because of their rebellion, because of their sin. But thanks be to God that He didn't say they're totaled. There's no hope. And why didn't God total out the human race? Send us to the salvage yard because of His love. And so ponder anew this morning the profound love of God. God so loved this present fallen humanity, generally speaking, that He act. And what did He do? In our second point, the action of love, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the emphasis is on that little word, so. This is how God loved, or this is the extent, this is the depth of His love. God so loved that He gave. And in passing, although our time is brief, I just want to point out again that love is not just simply some fickle emotion that comes and goes. We hear so much today of people in the bonds of holy marriage falling out of love. Well, that's a misunderstanding of the very essence of love. God so loved that He gave. And what did He give? Now, we have to be careful in measuring love based upon the worth of the gift given. But in this instance, you see something of the depth of the love of God in the fact that He gave that which was most precious to Him. And faithful parents, although there are no perfect parents in this world, but faithful parents, they love their children deeply. There's nothing in the world uh, that is more valuable to them other than their spouse, than their children. And the same is infinitely more true of God the Father. Not to the exclusion of the Holy Spirit, but His only begotten Son is the object of the Father's eternal affection. God loves His Son with an infinite love, with an eternal love. His only begotten Son. But He gave. He gave freely, and He gave sacrificially that only begotten Son. And with the hand and the eyes of faith this morning in a few moments as the elements are distributed, and as you, dear believer, hold in your hands that bread that represents the body of Christ, think to yourself, God so loved the world that He gave freely, sacrificially, His only begotten Son, that His body might be broken. And as your eyes behold and your hands and even your sense of taste embraces the wine that represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, think to yourself, in the depths of your soul, God so loved the world that He gave 
His only begotten Son. The word gave there emphasizes that this is a free gift moved only by love. What do I mean by that? There was was no other motivating factor. The only thing that compelled God to this action, the only thing that moved God to this action was His own internal love. You know, we also act. We do things. Boys and girls, you do things also. And maybe you're in school right now. And maybe one of your subjects that you're not so excited about is math. Maybe you're excited about math. If so, wonderful. But maybe you're not so excited. But the teacher says, okay, it's time to take out your math books. Why do you take out your math books when the teacher says to take out your math books? Because the teacher told you to. And hopefully you have learned obedience to those who are in positions of authority. So that's external motivation. You take out your math book because the teacher told you to take out your math book. God's not told to give His only begotten Son by anything outside of Himself. He gives His only begotten Son freely. Also in regards to the possession of this gift. What do you and I have to do to receive the only begotten Son? The context of our text emphasizes that word believes. Whoever believes in Him. This is the basis for the reception of the gift of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Faith. And what does faith cost you? What does faith cost me? Absolutely nothing. What did you and I have to do to inherit eternal life? Simply the exercise of faith, which in and of itself is a gift of God's love. So motivated only by love, God gives His only begotten Son as a sacrificial gift, as a substitutionary sacrifice. John 3, verse 16 should not be misunderstood as if this is just some type of what's known as moral influence theory of the work of Christ. It's not as if Christ on the cross only displays the love of God, in some attempt to woo humanity to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. As a desperate suitor might perhaps go to great lengths to show their love for someone who perhaps is tempted to neglect them. And I bring this up because this is an old, old heresy, but it keeps popping its head up again, even in some Reformed circles. Certainly the cross does show the love of God But it shows the love of God as Jesus Christ on the cross accomplishes salvation through a substitutionary sacrifice. And that substitutionary sacrifice, that breaking of His body, that shedding of His blood is essential, vital for the forgiveness of sins. Certainly the cross displays the love of God 
but it displays the love of God in that God gave His only begotten Son as a sacrifice for sinners so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the result of this love, salvation. Salvation from the guilt of sin, salvation from the power of sin, salvation from the penalty of sin, and one day when glorification comes, salvation from the very presence of sin. This eternal life is one of peaceful fellowship, experienced in part now by the Christian and experienced in full in times to come, in the new heaven and in the new earth. Eternal life. Jesus Christ shows us in his statement in John 17, verse 3, what the essence of eternal life is when he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you with this intimate knowledge. And that's why so often we begin our prayer, our congregational prayer, echoing the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the model prayer. When he was asked, Lord, teach us how to pray, he said, in this way, pray. And the beginning is, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And our catechism helps us that that petition means grant that we may rightly know you. Because that's the very essence of eternal life. This intimate knowledge. And, and this will be absolutely transformative for us as individual persons and as a congregation. If we come to this greater knowledge of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, including His glorious attributes, especially in this regards of our text of His love. You see, a person who really comes to know something in increasing measure of the love of God, oh, that person will be transformed. That person will be one who seeks to worship the Father in spirit and in truth along with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And a congregation that comes to know through the Word and the Spirit, assisted by the sacraments, comes to know the love of God, oh, that congregation will be a city on a hill. That congregation will be a light in the midst of the darkness. That congregation will have something about it that will cause people to stop and ponder and maybe even ask us for the reason for the hope that is within us. But notice that this is also a discriminating result. There's an absolute wonderful breadth to this, but also an exclusive narrowness to this. Whoever, male, female, rich, poor, whoever, old, young, very intellectually gifted, simple-minded, but whoever believes. And there you notice there is the narrow way. Whoever believes. Well, what exactly does it mean to believe? It means to know and to trust. To know who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and to trust 
in his person and in his work. And so this morning, I ask you, in all sincerity, do you believe? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation? Do you trust in his finished work? Even as you behold the elements, not that you place your trust in the elements, but in that which the elements represent. You say within your heart, my only hope, but my sure hope is in Jesus Christ and him crucified. If these words find the ear of one who says, I'm not believing, I'm not trusting, then I call upon you, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I also have the wonderful privilege of assuring you that all those who believe will be saved. And to those who do believe, after you've come through the past week, your faith this morning, your faith may be weak. You might have been battered and bruised, spiritually speaking, in this past week. You might have all sorts of difficulties and trials in life. Your heart may be heavy and weighed down. But believing in Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you simply would remind us of the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that as we behold with the eyes of faith the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, we might see behind it the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit. And may our hearts be overwhelmed with your goodness, and may we say to ourselves and to one another, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.